On this episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad Podcast, we have Travis Island, who's the head of content and commerce over at Magento, which was recently bought up by Adobe. But we dive into a ton of experience-driven commerce, partnerships, the management of operations, the humanizing of commerce, more or less, and more or less how you can kind of get your ads and overall business to resonate more and more with how the times are changing with new ad tech. Definitely tune in if you're curious on the omni-channel approach, partnerships, or even kind of order management capabilities. Make sure to tune in because this one's juicy. I think that the right investments is is where you want to focus. It's um, it's tough to it's tough to do all things. I mean, as a brand, you're you're doing you're you're looking at operations and warehousing, fulfillment, B two B partnerships. There's so much there that you're you're doing, and I, I think that using some of that profitability to start, um, you know, little SWAT teams or um, little pods of people that can look at developing business, whether it's like a B2B scenario or if you're looking to get products into retail stores to extend your brand presence. I think those are enormous things to do and it's all about maximizing each channel, but you got to add channels one at a time. I think in, in every case, you got to start with one and keep those bricks building. Listening to the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast, where we break down the financial principles that rich advertisers are deploying today to turn advertising into profit and get tons of traffic to their websites without killing their cash. These advertisers, agencies, affiliates, brands are responsible for managing over a billion dollars a year in ad spend. You'll hear about what's working for them today, their rich ads, and we'll roast their epic failures and crappy ads on the internet with poor ads. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad Podcast. This is your host, Zach Johnson. I'm with the one and only Dylan Carpenter. Dylan, you ready to talk about some e-commerce today? Oh, yeah. Definitely some ad tech stuff. Some ad tech and some e-commerce. <laughs> Today's guest has seen just, he has like this God's eye view of big e-commerce business. Now, we're not talking like, uh, I want to be a Shopify uh, dropship millionaire. We're talking about real businesses doing eight, nine figures, 10 figures a year. And um, it's pretty cool. He uh, he was previously the manager of business development and strategic alliances over at Magento and uh, is now um, head of content and commerce and strategy and business development at Adobe. And he's in our backyard. He's in Austin. Woo. Woo. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. I feel like, um, uh, I, I feel like, Travis has a really interesting perspective on what's trending and what's working right now in the world of, uh, I said, we'll, we'll call it like mid market, like e-commerce, but yeah, man, Travis Island, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Glad to be here. So you're Glad just to represent Austin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan's up. Uh, he's on North Austin. I'm like, what, maybe two miles from you right now, Travis, down south. That's right. And famous and salt lick out here. I'm actually in Dripping Springs, which is, which is just on the other side of uh, the county line. There you go. There you go. So tell everybody a little bit about uh, what you were doing at Magento and now you're doing it at Adobe. For those of you who don't know, Adobe bought Magento. It's like, what, two years ago now? And, That's right. And... Um, and so that was obviously 
an awesome thing to experience. We'll love to dive into that. But yeah, just get right up to speed if they're if they're not familiar with with you and um maybe maybe slightly familiar with Magento. Yeah, absolutely. I actually started at eBay and we very quickly divested uh when eBay and eBay Enterprise split and Magento ran as a private equity company for a few years. And uh, I think very early on was courting Adobe as a, as a potential acquirer, but um, you know, <laughs> after the past two years, you know, it's been nothing but uphill. It's uh, wait, very wait, wait, Let me fun. get this straight. You started at eBay. I didn't know this about Magento. You started at eBay and then that you got kind of spun off into Magento and then now I got acquired by it. So you're just kind of like the guy that's like along for the ride. You're like, you're just like a good, good old Labrador retriever of business development of just like, oh, we're going over here. I got this. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. It's been really interesting to see. I've, I've been very blessed to see how that whole business model of divesting and private equity and acquisition work. And now the the challenges and the um and the opportunities that come being at a big company. So it's it's been really fun. I, I initially helped build out the cloud product, which Magento had been a um, single tenant product mm -hmm. for a very long time. And we still are in a way, but uh, that was my first project. So I've had a variety of focuses when we look at how commerce interacts with different business platforms, hosting being one of them, which was my background. But now at Adobe, it's more about the content. It's about the experience, experience-driven mm -hmm. commerce. But uh, yeah, I, <laughs> to be to divest as a private equity company and then be acquired and, and be along for that whole ride has been has been amazing. It's been awesome. So Travis, you have this amazing view of what's happening in the ecosystem, and it's particularly for much larger size e-commerce businesses. Uh, so talk talk to us about some of the trends that you see right now uh, that that are that are working for this market. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I sit kind of across both content and commerce, which is the Adobe AEM product suite as well as Magento, and we do have an open source product that a lot of um, a lot of companies that are somewhat smaller and actually some that are much larger use, even doing hundred million dollars on that product. But typically, it's for companies that are starting doing less than a million online revenues. So mm. thinking about what types of product services serve each of those cohorts of businesses at each stage of that growth, call it like a merchant maturity cycle. I have a really interesting purview to see, you know, what types of payments technologies, what types of ad tech technologies or back-end business operation um, suites are right for each stage of growth within commerce companies. And so it's um, and now going into like the Adobe side, there's a, a whole slew of other types of technologies that are involved in, you know, administering experience driven commerce. So, I mean, re regardless of whether you're a millennial on Snapchat or a procurement officer at a global distributor, your expectations as a customer have, have changed higher than ever, higher than ever. And it's really shown in the way that we've developed technology stacks. And, and I think in a lot of ways we're behind, but you know, it's, it's all about making customers' lives easier, making experiences uh, for, for me as a consumer, making it easy for me and, and worth my time to mm. invest um, in different products and, uh, and companies and brands. So it's clear that legacy infrastructure we're using is somewhat inadequate for the task at hand. But across every industry, whether it's B2B or B2C, 
people aren't just buying products, they're buying experiences. And that's really changing the way that we all see um, a lot of these shops come up and these brands really scale quickly. Yeah. All right, Travis, I want to know what's the playbook that you see right now for, you know, a seven figure e-commerce business that's, that's scaling to eight figures. And what, what do you see is the, the, the rich ad playbook for this, for this merchant maturity <laughs> cycle? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, I mean, going back to, you know, how digital technologies are changing the world and everything we know, whether it's how we socialize, exercise, interact with brands or shop, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting and in shoppable ads has become, uh, something that a lot of these marketplaces or social platforms are, are looking at as technology becomes more headless in nature and you're able to drive experiences ubiquitously. I think that's a, a huge piece of it. Uh, so, you know, I've seen a lot of marketplaces pop up. There's actually a lot of marketplaces that are coming to Magento to build out like a third party marketplace. And these channels, I think, offer a really unique opportunity for customers to dominate some less mature channels. I mean, there's obviously the channels like Amazon and eBay who make up the majority of the market, but there's over 300 global marketplaces, regionally, mm -hmm. language, culture specific, you know, and they're growing really fast. Like Netherlands has a, a marketplace called bol.com or bol.com. Um, Egypt has one called Soak. Uh, S O U Q. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, wow. social social media and online communities are are also in a way a form of um, a form of marketplaces in themselves, especially if they're owned marketplaces. So creating that community experience and making it shoppable, I think that's something that <laughs> could really change in in how advertisers look at delivering these experiences. You know, if you look at like Facebook's becoming more native and the experiences they drive, you can buy straight off the, uh, the store. Um, and it's, it feels like you're still on Facebook. So, you know, and it, rather than like the years previous, you kind of bounce off to, uh, the retailer site and it's kind of like this jumbled kind of experience. So I think more of these social media platforms or marketplaces are going to own that whole procurement cycle of product advertisements and, they're the primary traffic source for online retailers. So this drives awareness and, and they refer traffic and they monetize it in a variety of ways. But I, I think like a, a house might be an interesting example of how a fragmented market is doing $9 billion in volume. It's, um, you know, they, if you're not familiar with them, they're an app. They started as an app and kind of like a, a social um, housing design, architecture, construction, um, platform and they've started now being able to have experiences mm. that you can shop directly from. So if you see a particular house or, or something or a kitchen, or maybe it's an outdoor um, venue that you can go in and, and click on different things and actually buy straight from, from house and they're own that full end to end experience, that whole buying experience and have over 10 million products. So I think that we'll see uh, continue to see a rise in that. And then, you know, the different types of experiences are going to, start taking shape. So as an ad uh, professional, if you think about like the Instagram and, and Facebook boom of, of advertising, I think it's going to become uh, more intuitive 
Um, video is going to take a, a huge rise. TikTok's already testing shoppable videos. So the, if you can build more immersive experiences, I think that's really the future. And you're starting to see it with this whole idea of like a, the rise of a corporate studio. And we have a client called Textile. And most people will probably be familiar with like their brands, Fabletics or Shoe Dazzle. And they're just scaling content production in an a enormous way. And they're using celebrities to really endorse the products and, and build a brand around the products rather than you know building a product and then developing a brand around the product. So I think that's a it's a huge change in in this era. And especially when brands are thinking about breaking through the noise and this era of mistrust and, and misinformation. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you were mentioning kind of Fabletics and whenever Kevin Hart kind of partnered with them and all those commercials, I got sold on Kevin Hart being so funny and such a killer intro offer, too. So, I mean, they leveled up the way they kind of created an experience for their customers to just make it feel very different where I would have never touched them before any of that. But something else you kind of mentioned, too, is the whole Facebook shop side of things. I mean, it's super lucrative on the Facebook side just because more time on site, they're controlling some more of the payment processing. So it's kind of cool to see how these, you know, massive platforms are coming up with this new different, you know, systems more or less to improve the the whole streamlining system for the experience and whatnot. But it's also kind of giving them some more, you know, I guess authority because, you know, if you're buying through Facebook, that's more time on Facebook, they're seeing more of what's going on. So, I mean, I just think it's so interesting on how fast this kind of industry is moving and how efficient it's getting to kind of really streamline these processes, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that might be challenging for a lot of brands to keep up. And I'm a huge advocate of partnerships being that that's, you know, that's my career path is partnerships. But, you know, thinking about the variety of marketplaces that exist mm -hmm. and, and being ubiquitous, being everywhere, and then learning these systems, I, I'm really a big believer in finding the right agencies to partner with. And uh, whether that's somebody who can take care of the supply chain or, or just do ad tech until, you know, you, you can build those resources internally as, as a big brand or a big company that's doing, you know, eight figures, it's, um, it's hard to do yourself. And I think that two things emerge. It's one, you can really leverage the, um, the knowledge and understanding that agencies or, or services companies have to accelerate your brand and take care of things where, where you might not. I mean, just looking at the level of uh, sophistication a brand needs to have, especially growing from you know, $10 million to $25 million and beyond, there's a huge jump there in, in native experience and, uh, and talent. So if you think about uh, what your objectives are at that stage of business and building a foundation, and really having order management become a part of the way that you do business, having the right fulfillment centers to keep keep up with like two day shipping and, and all the other things that Amazon's doing. It's uh it's tough. And so I think that one of the goals to look at there, if you're giving up some of that responsibility of your business is, is driving up sales to reduce cost of goods sold. And it's all about profitability at that point. At some point you, you have to look at systems that become too big and bulky uh, you start to not realize where your profits are going. Now, with these different kind of extensions out there, or you were mentioning kind of upsells, are there just a ton of those kind of saturating the market right now when it comes to, you know, I would imagine they've got to have different levels of, you know, back-end processes for someone who's doing, you know, a million a year versus 100 million a year. Are they pretty different in those kind of scenarios? Or how does that kind of 
phase out from kind of what you see, you know, working for the other, you know, e-com brands? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the most important things is operations on the back end. So I, I kind of look at the world in three different segments. There's the experience piece, which encompasses ad tech and, and also like personalization. Then there's the management and, and operations, which could be like product information management or order management. And then you have payments and, and payments can come in a variety of forms. Originally, I just thought of payments processing. There's so much more there to the types of products you sell and the financing options you, you give and the loyalty that gift cards create, or even like services like Klarna or an firm that you know offer split payments. And so I think a lot of these tactics are great. And, and it's, it's about weaving these things in together and, and leveraging the the wholeness of a service that you might have, like for instance, like with a Yachtpo where you you have ratings and reviews and UGC, it's like, how can you leverage that in your marketing automation suite? And those are pretty typical for most commerce companies across the board. Uh, as far as growing companies, what I see the difference between somebody who's maybe between that zero to 10 million and, and 10 million up is the adoption of, of order management. And then subsequently, at some point, collecting the data on your customers and the rise of personalization. And it started you know, years ago with the right message, the right channel, the right timing, the yield conversions. But technology is giving us the capability that we only thought was unre unreachable a year ago. So I think that personalization transcends product recommendations. It's about connecting with your customers the same way a family hardware store connected with their customers and their community, you know, a hundred years ago. So there's something every company can do by empowering agents and store associates to delight customers. I, I think that's a important piece to humanizing commerce and something that, you know, small companies can do really well because they're nimble and large companies have a tough time executing on that. Um, maybe one of the best stories I could say personally is a, a company called Sweetwater which is a, a pretty large music company and music instruments, guitar pedals, um, podcasting equipment, everything really. And they, um, they actually, I bought, I think something that was pretty nominal. I think I bought like a guitar pedal or something. And at the beginning of the year, I had one of the store associates reach out to me and ask me if he could help in any goals that I had for the new year with, with my music. And it, you know, I'm just, I just play for fun, but you know, I, I'll be a lifetime customer of Sweetwater because of that. And uh, I think it's, it's really important to you know, humanize commerce, especially like I mentioned in this whole era of mistrust. And, and that really goes to having that lifetime viability where you spend so much effort in, on ads and bringing customers in to experience your brand. And then the back end is uh, where I see a lot of the evolution happening right now, that post-purchase, bringing information into the purchase cycle, like shipping and fulfillment, or if some, if maybe a package is uh, delayed, is reaching out to that customer with a 10% discount on its next purchase, just to be sure that you know you're aware of what the customer experiences is after they after they purchase something. So it's there's a lot of technology out there. It's really exciting to see what's being brought to the table, and uh, it's fun for me to to sit, kind of see the best of breed and. And, uh, and see how clients are being using these technologies to either you know, increase profitability, uh, just drive brand loyalty, or even like raise, their, raise the bar on their search engine optimization.
man, the, the whole concept of humanizing commerce just, I was like, ooh, this is getting good now. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Funnel Dash's ad card, the only charge card exclusively for your digital ad spend. And if you're an ad agency that manages seven or even eight figures a year in media and ad spend for your clients, and you're looking to double your profits over the next six to 12 months, then check out AdCard. See, the typical agency model is this. You charge 10% of your spend, and you make 10 to 20% margin at the end of the day. So that's really one to 2% of your client's spend that is profit in your business. The easiest way to double that is to really find a way to earn in that one to 2% cash back of the card that is on file of your client's ad account. And before AdCard, what you had to do was invoice all your clients for their ad spend up front, which is really difficult on a cash flow basis and very difficult ask. And then you had to put the card on your own Amex or whatever card of choice to get that level of value back into your business. With AdCard, it's entirely different and streamlined. You simply get your clients on AdCard and make yourself the agency of record and you'll get the cash back as long as you're managing the ad spend. It's a great way to double your profit without doing any additional work. Check it out at FunnelDash.com. So, I mean, you see behind the scenes of what's going super well, but of course we'd love to see that poor ad segment of you know things that just haven't worked very well. So, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a wide array of maybe crash and burns, maybe poor launches or something kind of along those lines. But what is your pour out in this scenario of things that you saw that just did not go well? Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to, I think, approach a response on that. Is one, it's it's like the ad side, which, you know, I, I don't actually do ads myself, um, but I, I see them. And then the other ones, like a, a business operations and a, and a growth point of view, which I could probably answer better, but on the ad side, you know, I think that consumers are a lot smarter with what's being presented to them. You know, there's just a proliferation of, of clickbait. And so going back to humanizing commerce is being real with what your brand stands for. Um, for instance, like this whole conscious capitalism revolution a couple of years ago, there's so many brands that were sort of hanging the, their hat on, um, you know, philanthropy. And I think it started kind of after Tom Shoes a bit, and, and it just proliferated after that. But um, I think that consumers can see right through that. I think having a mission behind your brand or your company is super important. It's it's what makes makes us live. It's what makes it, it what makes life worth living. And I think that's important to to just be genuine in, in that approach. On the operations side or the business side, I, I think sprawl is there's something to be said about sprawl, whether it's IT sprawl or, or um, having too many employees doing too many different things and being very specific in the way that you designing your business or actually putting people um, in place that can operate systems the way that they were meant to be operated. And I kind of mentioned this before is like making sure you have the right team of people in place. This could be externally as partners or internally, but if you get too much sprawl, then the investments that you're making in these tech in your technology suite your technology stack go diminished and i think that's a dangerous place to be because you're you're driving revenue mm -hmm. but your profitability is going down and if you can if you can look at it in, in the same sense as, as doing both at the same time driving driving down cogs and um increasing sales at the same time is building efficiencies with the revenue that you're making 
I think that's just, you know, good business sense. That makes complete sense there. Man, this is an interesting one today. Hell yeah. So, I mean, you know, with the whole rich ad, poor ad concept, we try and find the crossroads between the marketing and the financial side of things. So, I mean, this very open-ended kind of question here, but what kind of financial tips could you have for, you know, a business that's doing, you know, 10 to shoot 25 million a year or, you know, even more than that to where it's kind of a bit more of a high tech kind of question, I guess you can say, versus the guys who are just doing, you know, less than 10 million a year. Yeah, I think that the right investments is is where you want to focus. It's um, it's tough Ooh. to it's tough to do all things. I mean, as a brand, you you're doing you're you're looking at operations and warehousing, fulfillment, B two B partnerships. There's so much there that you're you're doing, and I, I think that using some of that profitability to start, um, you know, little SWAT teams or uh, little pods of people that can look at developing business whether it's like a B2B scenario or if you're looking to get products into retail stores to extend your brand presence, I think those are enormous things to do. And it's all about maximizing each channel, but you got to add channels one at a time. I think in, in every case, you got to start with one and keep those bricks building. Um, from the financial side, you know, I, I don't know if I have a, a good purview on, on that piece just because I'm not in like an investor seat. But one of the best things that I, I think you can do as a business is uh, building out your order management capabilities. As you start to extend products in, in different channels and leveraging ads in different channels and, and you're selling everywhere, it becomes hard to manage. And you know, a lot of the, the stores, especially in the, like the retail side, not necessarily manufacturing as much, they're looking at this whole omni-channel strategies, being ubiquitous being everywhere all the time. And, um, and that can be harsh on operations. It's like, how do you know if you sold something online with a discount or a coupon and they bring it in store that that coupon needs to be, you know, reconciled. You know, so there's, there's a lot of inventory reconciliation, leveraging your stores for distribution and fulfillment centers. It's one beauty thing that uh, comes out of leveraging a, a more enhanced order management platform. And so um, thinking about, you know, that omni-channel experience is the important piece. I think is when you start to grow is just being able to scale the back end as fast as you can scale the ad side. You can bring in customers very quickly. You can bring in resellers fairly quickly if you have a good brand, a good product. But unless you're able to really, you know, push products out and, and then reconcile all the inventory and, and profitability, it's going to be hard to drive growth. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I mean, shoot, scaling an omni-channel approach system can be a mess. So, I mean, the, the order management on the back end is going to be the biggest deal because, I mean, not only that, but then the tracking can be a mess. So, I mean, the amount of variables involved towards like you really got to focus on that kind of back end first before even, you know, jumping into these new areas because it's, 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 a, it's a new land, basically. So, I think that's some killer stuff there. Now, when it comes to the partnership side of things, you may have a little bit more insight here. But when is a good time to kind of look into partnerships kind of when scaling and how important is it to find the right partner? I was literally reading an article on Twitter. I think it was like yesterday of like, you know, finding a partner is like finding like a, a partner in life to where I've seen some nightmares, but I've seen some really good things come out of it. So <laughs> it's kind of different to see, you know, how people look at how they form partnerships, whether it's, you know, somebody they just met, somebody they've been working with for years. How would you guide somebody on the partnership side of things? That's a great question. And I think it's something that we all struggle with, finding the right partners that can add the right value. 
me what what is the what is the economic change in that you know there's there's two kinds of partnerships really there's one that that you pay for a certain product or service and there's there's another that you know, you're sort of reciprocating some level of value whether that's a value in in bringing an ecosystem or or a clientele uh, to a particular partner or if you're paying for services and i think that creating the right incentives in any sort of contract is really important if the right incentives and in the right will promote the right behaviors then the outputs are going to be good and recommendations are always great but you know you, you never know once you're going in i think setting the right expectations with the partner on what's capable um, a lot of companies will try to oversell what they can do and and that comes out like after you purchase and of course like we're talking about experiences here so i think being truthful with what you want to achieve and seeing if they can help you with just that those first initiatives because once we start talking about partnerships or or outsourcing different parts of our companies you you start building the list <laughs> what do you want <laughs> well you see that list can get quite long and priorities aren't centered then you know, you're kind of chasing the this magic golden carrot or, or whatever, and you can really be distracted in what you want to achieve with that partner. So I think it's better to keep it a bit more concise and realistic. And as that those partnerships begin to flourish and you capitalize on those initial initiatives, there's always going to be room and time and and funding for for adding more, adding those uh, things on your wish list. Man, that was perfect. Well, Travis, man, this has been absolutely epic. So what's next for you, man? What do you have kind of coming up in the pipeline? How can people get in touch with you? How can we support you? Fill us in there. Yeah, I mean, I love talking about this stuff, and I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. It's it's fun to talk about. It's fun to listen to different perspectives. You know, I, I'd encourage anybody that uh, want to have a conversation around this stuff to reach out on on LinkedIn love to have conversations and um and connect with people and like-minded individuals that are pushing the limits of themselves and their companies and you know those those are what we all remember in life and in business and whatever situation you're in is the stories the stories that you can create and the friendships you can build so you know definitely open to conversations heck yeah and anything you want to kind of shout out you got going over there or yeah i mean you know, everybody that I've come across in, in my life and in my career within commerce, you know, it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey. I've met some wonderful people and, um, you know, those, those people are my friends now. And so, you know, I, I give a shout out to, to Yachtpo, great partner and, and great friends over there. I'm Nosto personalization stack that, uh, we've been working with for years, dot digital group. Um, Vertex, and there's so many I, I could list, but uh, those are mm -hmm. some core partners that uh, I think have just done wonders in the ecosystem and, and helping brands and products scale and, and helping you know Magento be a better product and and do more for its customer. So uh, if I had if I didn't if I missed you, you know I'm thinking about you because uh, you know there's there's just so many people I couldn't even list. I appreciate that opportunity to give those call outs. Yeah, no worries, man. Well, Travis, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for jumping on the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Zach. Thanks so much.
much for listening to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad Podcast. If you're like me and listen to podcasts on the go, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and richadpoorad.com slash podcast. And if you absolutely love the show, go ahead and leave a review and a comment, share with a friend. If you do, take a copy, screenshot of it, email me, zach at funnel-dash.com, show me you left a review, and I'll give you a free copy of the Rich Ad Poor Ad book. To learn more about the book, go to richadpoorad.com. To leave a review, go to richadpored.com slash review. Thanks again.